As the 2022 Australian hop harvest draws to a close, beer drinkers will be getting to experience the release of the 2020 green hop ales. Interestingly, brewing with green hops is still a relatively recent development, or at least recently rediscovered aspect in brewing, but one that has great potential to educate beer drinkers about provenance and also the agricultural nature of beer. But there's a lot for brewers to be aware of to execute a great green hop beer. And that's what this Brewery Pro panel is going to look at, planning and executing a great green hop beer. To join us in this discussion, I'm joined by Owen Johnson, Sales and Marketing Manager for Hop Products Australia and former head brewer at Moo Brew, as well as the Hop Trial Beer Company. Welcome, OJ. Thanks very much, Matt. Haven't heard the uh, Hop Trial Beer Company's name for a while. Are we still doing that? Mate, it's been parked for the time being. Uh, HPA got busy and a couple of kids uh, landed on the deck in between times and uh, that's really stuffed my hobbies. <laughs> well, we can come back to that and uh, we're certainly going to be talking about Hop Trials today. Also joined by Richard Watkins, a three-time Crown Australian Champion Brewer and claims the title of Australia's longest-serving craft brewer. He spent much of his career as head brewer at Canberra's renowned Wigan Pen before embarking on the venture that is Ben Spoke Brewing Company with partner Tracy Margrain. He is highly regarded as a brewer known for pushing boundaries of his craft. And this year, when Ben Spoke picked up its second Hottest 100 crown, Richard was described by one of our panellists as one of Australia's best recipe developers. Welcome, Richard. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having us on. I don't think we'll get into the debate about what qualifies you for Australia's longest craft brewer for this chat, but I think there's a discussion in that one. Sounds good. And we're also joined by Reed Stratton, head brewer at Bright Brewing Company, smack bang in the middle of hop country, uh, formerly of New England Brewing Company in New South Wales. He's also brewed at Jolly Pumpkin Artisanals in Michigan and Grand Teton Brewing in Idaho. Welcome for the first time to uh, a Brewery Pro uh, podcast, Reed Stratton. Yeah, glad to be here. Now, OJ, we might start with you um, with a little bit of background to uh, green hops and how do brewers uh, get access to green hops uh, if they are hearing about them uh, on, on this podcast? Yeah, absolutely, Matt. Thanks very much. Look, we open um, expressions of interest and publicise what it is that we're going to offer in our um you know, in our seasonal release uh, or access to wet hops and green hops coming off the farm every year. We we start to talk about that in November. We typically leave orders open November, December uh, through to the end of January leading into the crop year. Now, we, we, we I know this is uh, asking brewers to get organised, so uh, you know, it's a long way off, but we, um, we do need to shut the door on taking orders so that we can get the operational aspects of harvest uh, better down and you know, whether it's ordering packaging or labour, um, you know, getting the labour force organised to, to bring in the um, in the orders. This year we had something like 35 breweries, uh, mostly um, in the vicinities of the hop farms um, and picking up from farm. We, we mailed out, uh, you know, shipping through the eastern seaboard to only only a few actually this year so really it's um a really regional program which is excellent because that's this the spirit of the endeavor here is uh not to ship green hops into hong kong or something silly like that that is not the spirit of the deal um in a, in a sort of similar way to uh drinking in the shadow of the brewery this is about um you know the link between local agriculture and local beer so if people are interested if they're listening to this because they're interested in green hop beers 
we'll open the program again for the 2023 harvest in November, but feel free to shoot um, your HPA rep or myself an email and, and we'll come back to you when the program opens. But that is one of the exciting things about beers made with freshly harvested hops is it does really highlight that agricultural nature of beer as a, as a product. For us, it's really important. It's not just about outreach to our brewing customers. And, and we've been working with Rich and Reed for a long time on these beers. It, it's, a, it's, so it's not necessarily about us reaching out to brewers. It's, it's a little more about re-establishing that agricultural link between beer in general um, and the consumer. So if brewers, it's hard for us as a hop farmer to talk to beer drinkers and this is one of the ways in which we can sort of be part of that conversation and bring the focus back onto, onto what makes great beer and, and the romantic, the most romantic ingredient in beer is, of course, hops. Um, and it's, and it's a, at our special time of the year through harvest. So, so you know, it's our, our way of trying to invigorate that uh, link between beer, the beer drinker and, and Aussie, you know, agriculture. One of the things that interests me the most is, you know, if, if you trace the modern craft beer movement back to, you know, 1980 with uh, Sierra Nevada um, being the one of the really touch points for that, uh, fresh hop beers, uh, you know, is it or beers made with the green hops, is a relatively new endeavour, and there's a little bit of discussion about where it came from, but Cascades first harvest was a very early beer to do that, wasn't it? It, it? it doesn't really go back much before around about 2000. Yeah, I think Cascade First Harvest might have been 2002. 2002, uh, there was a pilot batch yeah. the year before. I think they were, and I'll, I'll link to a great article um, that a couple of the people who were involved in the very early ones where CUB was going to emulate the um, Beaujolais Nouveau of you know the, the the French vintage mm. you know race mm. hops mm. you know on the ferry up to Sydney to brew up there, but then Cascade took it over very early is the history that I've uh, been able to get. But it didn't really globally even it didn't really predate that very much, did it? Well, and and you've um, you've kind of linked those two pieces together there because you've talked about Sierra Nevada and the craft movement in the eighties and all that sort of stuff. But there's inherent logistical barriers to this stuff. And like I said before, I don't think that what we're seeking to achieve is, is, is you know, green hop internationally or, mm. or freeze-drying it and shipping it into the UK or anything like that. I, I just don't think that that is actually the spirit of the deal we're talking about here. Um, the, those days of uh, rushing, rushing hops off the farm um, still exist today, um, and I can vouch for these two gentlemen brewers who are with us that we do you know everything we can to get those hops off the paddock and overnight out of Tassie um, or of course Reed just drives down the road and picks them up same day and and it's really important that timeliness and that um, and that issue of rushing them down to the brewery and making a great beer with them is is still relevant today um, you know with a with a practical eye to to, 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 to the challenges we face in freight. Just from a technical perspective, what are the challenges? You know, just explain to brewers who maybe aren't aware of what happens to hops from the moment they're picked that makes the logistical challenges in getting these, keeping these hops fresh. It's a bit of a conundrum, really, because they're still sitting. You know, uh, they're still sitting at say seventy-five percent moisture at this at this point. And um, if you delay, if you hang around too much, it's much like. Uh, much like a lettuce left in the crisper in your fridge for a week, it's going to go a bit mushy. And uh, these things are still uh, respiring, so to speak. They are 
degrading. Um, they will they will um, give off moisture, and that condensation will sit on the outside of them, and you know they get they get pretty messy in a short order of time. And that sort of degradation, you know, it's it's it, it's tolerable in a pinch, but but I don't think in the pursuit of what these beers are about um, that it's that it's a great a great thing. We um, we certainly recommend. Um, you know, using them in a timely manner, and and if you have to store them, probably freeze them. Um, if uh, but they're so bulky, that's also a bit of a challenge. Mm. Rich, when was the first time that you brewed with uh, fresh hops? Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Um, I remember when I first started '96, and um, so that's sort of validating that claim of um, one of Australia's longest-serving craft brewers. Um, I'm not sure who's been brewing consistently since before 96, but I'll throw that out there. Um, I, I was part of the uh, Canberra Brewers um, Amateur Brew Club then, and so many of the Canberra Brewers were growing hops. And we um, we brewed a beer at the Wigan Pen using an, like a series of different hops from about 20 different backyards. And that was around the 2000 mark because I remember we did the Bicentennial Ale and that was using fresh hops um and we we had to figure out a way to use them that was the hardest part that i had to figure out was how do i use these fresh hops without clogging up my heat exchanger for instance and i remember we worked out this way to um use our our mash tun as a hop back and we managed to put them into the mash tun and we recirculated the wort from the kettle through the mash tun back into the heat exchanger and the mash tun or the louder tun mash louder tun it was and had a nice screen in the bottom so that separated the the hot work from the from the hops and that was our that was my first time that i did it and the, and just you know the amazing aromas and, and flavors that you get from using green hops is something you only get to experience once once every year so i think from then every year we've i've brewed a wet hop beer i don't think i've missed a wet hop brewing a wet hop beer in 25 years 26 years it's interesting to hear you describe that challenge because I think Max Burslem had to do the same thing with the Cascade Brewery. OJ um, had to try and use the mash tun as a uh, hop back in, in some form as well. Yeah, uh, Rich, honestly, I thought you were going to open up with uh, after the floods in 1974. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, Matt, certainly correct me if I'm wrong, I, I reckon it was Mick Jontif that was throwing uh, Maxi Burslem under the bus there trying to make that that uh, first harvest beer and and Max is dealing with the 1927 brew house there at Cascade and it is not amenable to just a, <laughs> a bit of soft pipe between this outlet and that outlet and we'll just pump that back over there. Um, that sort of flexibility is a bit of a nightmare. So they're still on that brew house and they still, um, in very much the similar vein to what Rich has described, they still go back on top of um, their lauder tun, fill the lauder tun up and... Uh, uh, and research there, um, Reid. I think that's uh, that's still a process you use. Yeah, I, that certainly must be the most common technique. Um, it's just as you said, because of the bulk of the hops, it's hard to imagine any other really suitable solution. Uh, you could fill a hundred muslin bags, or even more, possibly a thousand muslin bags, uh, but then you have to fish those all out by hand as well. So um, I think that's definitely the louder ton as hop back has got to be the uh, number one uh, preferred technique for most brewers. When was the first time you got to use uh, green hops, right? First time was uh, when I was brewing in the States, uh, you know, some 10-something years ago. Um, I was brewing in Idaho, which is not famous 
for as a hop growing region, but actually there are quite a lot of hop farms in the western part of that state, which start to get closer to the Yakima Valley and areas that are more famous for, for hop growing in the U.S. And for a long time, up until around the time when I was started brewing, there were all these hop farms that were just strictly contracted for um, Anheuser-Busch um, to be used, turned into CO2 extract for bittering only, you know, like just absolute commodity farms. And they, they had just started planting um, like aromatic varieties for the first time. So we got um, like fresh hops off of their new plantings of um, aromatic vines. Um, I want to say it was Centennial that we used our first year there. And uh, yeah, drove across the state. It was about four or five hours away from where the brewery was. So we loaded up a truck, drove them all back over um, pretty much first thing in the morning. And we had a brewer there standing by with like the wort like in the kettle ready to go and uh, dumped them all in. It was, it was kind of a bit of an adventure doing that for the first time. I honestly think that's um, one of the best benefits from the brewer's point of view. It's about engagement and, and the brewer's getting a getting to do something different and uh, it's a bit exciting and maybe you don't even know what quite what the outcome's going to be and that's um, that's a, a bit of a skills test and, uh, and as far as the for the guys and girls operating the brew houses on a you know rinse and repeat basis every day I think the I think the green hop adventure is um, is still pretty cool but I think for the consumer as well because one of the things that uh, I was reading about in the states you know if you've got a seasonal beer or a holiday beer such as a pumpkin ale um, they talk about the creep you know like we get hot cross buns on January 1st in Australia with you know green hop beers you can't bring that date forward because you can only have them when the green hops are available we've tried <laughs> Richard, how do you get those two or three crops a year up in the ACT? How do we do that? <laughs> no, that, no, that you're absolutely right, Matt. There's no, uh, there's no uh, Christmas decorations in October. There's no <laughs> nothing like that, right? Rich, you did talk a little bit about the sensory difference uh, with green hops versus, uh, and, and I need to be careful because all hops that uh, are coming from suppliers like HPA are fresh. But these are the green hops, so the wet green hops. Rich, you talked about the sensory differences. What are some of the differences with you know a, a beer made with dried hops uh, or pelletized hops and the the green hops that, that have just been harvested? Yeah, look, I find um, you still get it. There is still a lot of similarity you can get from using the same variety in different stages in brewing. So you, you're still going to get some of the same. Um, flavors from using a hop in a kettle or dry hopping or um, as you will using green hops um, but what you do get from green hops that you don't get from any other uh, type of hop is that chlorophyll sort of green raw green character it's sort of a little bit undescribable in a way too because it does really accentuate a lot of other characters in the hops um, so for me, um, getting that burst of whether it's citrus or um, tropical characters or herbal characters that you would normally get and then chucking in a bit of that green sort of raw chlorophyll sort of character, I reckon is just gives it such good balance. It does depend on how I find contact time with the green hops is really important. So whilst we were using um, our louder ton as a way to separate or keep the hops separated from the word and be able to process the beer we've actually built a purpose-built um, green hop vessel which is basically it's we come out of the kettle it's like a hop back basically it's a hop back um, and it's got a basically got a, a stainless screen around the side and and 
it, it's designed to only hold a certain amount of volume. So we we might put the we fill it with literally fill it to the brim with wet hops, but there'll only ever be about a hundred liters or hundred forty liters of, of actual hot wort in there at any one time. We're pumping it straight off the hops and the wort's coming in um, as we pump out, and I find that that does make sure that you don't get the stewed hop character so to speak, because the same wort's not sitting in contact with those green hops for too long. You're freshening up the wort. Um, and we also do stop halfway through um, our, our pump out and actually recharge the, the hop back with um, more green hops as well. So we don't get a lot of that stew. We don't want to get the, I call it the, um, what's the technical term, AJ? What's the spine in the middle of the cane? Um, strig. The strig. I don't want to get that flavour into the beer. So you don't want to have it sit around for that long that you get the strig character. How about you, Reid? What what do you get as the uh, sensory elements of uh, using green hops? Obviously, if you're using a common variety, like we use Galaxy in our uh, green hop beer this year, and that's a hop that we're really familiar with. So particularly when we get the, the just the actual the raw hops in and we're smelling the green hops, totally different from the pelletized galaxy hops we use year round. Like you would you couldn't mistake them. But by the time they kind of go through the processing stage of steeping through the hot word and fermentation and everything else, the, the character I do, I do think becomes a lot more similar to the pelletized hops that we're that we're used to with the addition of that. Grassy doesn't quite cover it, um, I think. Um, that, that green flavor that Richard was talking about. It's something a little more nuanced than just to say it's like um, like um, grassy. It's not really quite not really astringent either. It's this um, this this kind of funny combination of characteristics. And uh, and like with Richard, uh, we've also every year I think been reducing our contact time a uh, little bit by little bit um, as we start to kind of. You know, the more we brew these beers, uh, you only get the one chance a year. But so you have to kind of recall what did we do last year? How did we like the results? Think about changing it this year. And we also find that kind of like boiled flavor that boiled vegetable flavor kind of um uh there's absolutely a threshold for that um if you um try to um extract maximum flavor from, from those green hops not all the flavor is going to be really nice flavors so we try to find that sweet spot of getting the nice fresh flavors but not the cooked um kind of green vegetable flavors well that being the case are there some styles that lend themselves better to using the green hops than others to make sure that you're not getting those flavors We've only ever really tried them in IPA hoppy beer styles um, because the beer style itself obviously lends itself to sort of celebrating hops, which is what the final product is really about. Uh, I have seen that other breweries try them in a few in a few other styles that presumably at lower at lower rates. And um, I have to imagine that if we had the ability to brew a green hop beer once a week every year and we could really dial it in, I think we probably would find a bit of a bell curve as to where the the really the really best dosage rates and steeping times kind of come together. Um, but since this is kind of like that, you know, that bit of like harvest fun, let's let's just chuck a bunch in, um, get those really nice fresh flavors once a year and, and kind of celebrate the season. Um, I, I think absolutely the biggest challenge is that the, re the repeatability of these beers is, is uh, really is really low. Um, so we're always trying to, I guess, improve from on year to year and and find the right um, application, you know, for the for the hops. How about you, Richard? Are there any styles that you find particularly work with uh, the, the the green hop beers? Yeah, I think Reed's right. I mean, you're, you're trying to celebrate one of the obviously key ingredients in making beer, and obviously IPA does lend itself to really 
expressing the hops um, as best they can. Last year, we actually had our first play around with a darker. We did a porter last year with, with a wet hop porter, and it went really well. That was using the um, Enigma. This year, we actually got um, wet hops from three different hop farms. Majority we got from HPA, but we also got some um, wet hops from Ryefield hops, which aren't far away from us down the coast in uh, south coast of New South Wales. So we got some Chinook and some um, Victoria um, and some Cascade. Um, we also got some hops from another little hop farm closer to Canberra called Talaganda hops, which actually got flooded out big time this year. So they actually only had 19 kilos of hops off their farm, of which we managed to nab them all. Um, so what we did this year, because we had the same variety off three farms, it was really interesting com to compare the same variety coming from three different farms. Um, and that, I mean, the cascade that came out of HPA was really, you know, like true to, true to cascade, um, quite, you know, piney and, and a nice grapefruit sort of character. Whereas the cascade that came from Ryefield was more, probably slightly more tropical even. So we did an amber ale, we brewed an amber ale with the more tropical one to see how how that would go, and that turned out pretty well. We did, so we did it's like a red amber ale um, using Chinook and Cascade, um, and then the Talaganda uh, hops we did the porter uh, with because they they had a, a, like a more of an earthy character to the hops. Certainly the Victoria did anyway, um, and then we made two IPAs using the HPA hops um, in different different combinations. So we did one using just Cascade and Ella and one using um, Ella and Enigma. I think those combinations turned out really well. I'm probably most, well, maybe not ever, but most happy with the beers, the wet hop beers we've done this year than previous years. I think we were, we were more prepared, to be fair, HPA got us the hops as, as quicker than, than before, so we... We were planned, ready to go. We literally were sitting there waiting for the... We were tracking the truck and waiting for it to turn up. Like it sat at the depot too long. We were hassling the depot to get it out to us and so we could use it, you know. It was sort of, we were sort of in that frame this year. So that... And I think that's a big part of using these wet hops. You've got to... You've got to be prepared. You've got to be ready to go. You don't want to get them into the brewery and then wait two days to use them. You know, you literally want to get them in and... Maybe you don't mash in at 7 o'clock in the morning or 5 o'clock in the morning. Maybe you mash in at 3 in the arvo when they've been delivered at 1 o'clock or something, you know. So you, you can actually use them as quickly as you possibly can because that, that 12 hours overnight, that can make a massive difference, I reckon. Uh, one year I think we we didn't use all of our hops um, straight away and, and they sat in some of them sat in the kill room and I actually thought at one point they were going to catch fire. Because they were they were composting away, and the amount of heat that was coming off them in the cool room, the cool room was playing up. I'm going, what's going on with the cool room? And it was because the hops were giving off so much heat, they were, you know, they were composting away. So we learned that lesson. We do make sure the hops are stored in like muslin bags in the cool room, so that we can act, they can actually naturally dry out a little bit. The cool room is actually pretty good for drying out hops, but it sucks all the moisture out of them. So it's actually a good good thing to do because we have a little hopinator infuser on the bar so one of our wet hop beers is constantly um, flowing through that and we're updating those hops in that hopinator uh, twice a week so the customers really get not only do they get the beer um, the, the wet hop beer sh straight off the tap they also get it freshly infused with wet hops at the bar as well 
And I think that that infusion also adds some different different flavors and characters as well. Probably more grassy notes, but I think the grassy notes blended with that green sort of raw character you get, plus the normal oil characters you get, really add massive complexity to the you know the hop character of the beer. Do you think like we we know that all hops are not equal, right? So do you have any feedback for us on? In broad terms, throw the, throw you know um, modern US varieties in a bucket, so to speak. But you know, do you know how the green hops perform between locally grown European or locally grown Aussie high alpha modern hops versus, say, some of the open market US grown here, like Centennial or Cascade or anything like that? Um, have you got a feel for like some generic rule of thumbs that these ones work better and these ones don't work as well? Yeah, good question. Um... Probably need to do some side-by-side stuff, I think. That would be the way to sort of really get an idea for that. I think the growing seasons, unfortunately, are very inconsistent each year, especially for the smaller producers. So for them, trying to get get consistency in their hops is a real challenge because one year they can struggle to get enough water and mm. next year, like this year, they've got so much water they're trying to get rid of it. Um, you know, the... Yeah. Vines are all swimming in it and they need to actually get rid of it, which is exactly what this Palagana guy was doing. He was literally pumping water away from the hops. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, you know, you never hear, hear of that in a hop farm, you know. Um, so um, I think um, my general rule of thumb is starting to, it's starting to evolve that the high alpha hops are actually better as grain hops. I'm not sure whether the, the higher alpha acids have a, they obviously have a bigger part to play in it, I'm not sure of the chemical, the, the full chemical um, processes there or reactions, but it, it does seem to me trending right now that high alpha hops are, do work better as green hops. I think there's a, uh, there is something in there, and it's, it's not that, um, that high alpha and high oils are actually correlated, as in like not all high alpha have to have high oils, but certainly in the HPA suite of proprietaries out there at the moment, they are the higher they the higher alpha have higher oils as well. And and this is a full circle back to some of the comments you guys have made about how to actually handle um, steep times versus some of the off flavours you might pick up. One of the traps about high oil and high alpha from my point of view is that um, you have to be really mindful of, of minimising your steep time um, mm. and whether that's pump into your lauder and pump out again or as you're doing, Rich, as you described, you know, pumping through a bed of hops you risk picking up, even just if you look at high alpha alone, you risk picking up a lot of unisomerized alpha and that will have a not as nice bitterness character as isomerized alpha. So, you know, immediately you've got one of these um, these pitfalls of your process and of the, of the hops you know can have high impact, but you need to handle them appropriately um, to avoid some of the negative uh, outcomes of, of what we're actually trying to capture. And and I, I think that's great. That's something um, definitely that we manage because we don't actually add any hops to the kettle. In, I don't think the, you need to. We, brew, we don't add any hops at all. We don't add yep. even the smallest amount of bittering hop or anything at all to the kettle. It's The whole bitterness and balance of the beer comes from um, running through the, the wet hops in, you know, hot through the... And that's that, that un, um, unassomerized acid is what's providing that bitterness but it's because it's the only thing providing bitterness mm. it doesn't come across as being you know super harsh or overly bitter or anything these beers aren't 
overly bitter. I'd be very surprised if any of them above 40 IBU. Absolutely. And to, to riff off something that Reid said about uh, brewing IPAs with these, you know, if you were brewing a, a style that um, didn't have a huge charge of wet hop, you might layer in some base backbone of bitterness in the kettle. You might put, I don't know, something to make it some semblance of balance, like 12 BUs or something like that, depending on what style you're making, and then allow the, allow the alpha that you pick up through the wet hop process to carry the rest of the load. Um, if you're doing a huge charge, like filling your read, filling your uh, lauder up with hundreds of kilos of um, Galaxy, you're going to pick up a bit of enough bitterness there to carry an IPA. So, it, you know, it's just a it's sort of just like a proceed with caution. Another one of these recipe design issues where it's you need enough backbone in the beer to carry the residual sweetness, and you've got a you've got a sort of a sense of feel um, for what what your process with wet hops will result in bitterness pickup, even if it's at a discount from normal isomerized bitterness because uh, unisomerized alpha is, uh, you know, something like off the top of my head, it's something like 80% the bitterness of isomerized alpha. So you can sort of start to ballpark where you might end up yeah. without much precision, but you can at least have a feel for it. One other thing I might um, just note there too is that we've tried a number of ways to... to um, how do, I don't even know what the terminology is. Dry hop using green hops. There must be a better better phrase than that. But anyway, that's what I'm going to call it. Dry, dry hop using hopping. But it's, <laughs> they call that a mess. Yeah. And it, to me, it just it just doesn't work. You just you don't get anything good out of it at all. It's um, it's uh, the beer itself doesn't break down any of the characters or oils or um, any out of the hops it, you just get a heap of vegetal characters which you start to question whether you you know you've actually got a DMS problem in your in your boil or whatever so we don't we definitely won't do any more dry hopping using green hops unless someone comes up with a new a new hop that works really well or, or a new technique but conventional dry hopping I won't I'll never do with green hops but with the IPA we still did a dry hop addition because i felt that it does accentuate those wet hop characters and and um not saying you you have to do a dry hop um as well as a as well as using the wet hops in an ipa you certainly don't you can still make an ipa with straight wet hops but we felt in our beer we needed to back it up with some um i think the did i say i think that yeah the, the the ipa was cascade and ella that was the one that we dry hop with those two varieties as well so it was consistent in varieties we didn't change varieties it was just we felt it needed a little bit more to balance it and it worked really well the beer's better for being dry hop than it is for not reed did you dry hop your um wet hop beer this year yeah we typically do um add dry hops uh very sounds very similar to richard um our, our recipe which is in the you know um no kettle hops just green hops only on the hot side and then um and then dry hops so this year, for the past two years now, we've done like a hazy style, uh, which obviously to get the characteristics, you, you really need dry hops in there or you're not going to have much haze and, and that mouthfeel. So we sort of really consider that the green hops to be like the base flavor of that and layer other flavors on top of that for our, uh, for our green hop beer. I think one of the pitfalls, Rich, in your description there is that steep time issue applies to the, the, the uh, wet hopping, the dry hopping of wet hops um equally so uh you know a, a few days even cold um is is 
fraught with danger. Um, and then, of course, there's that solubility issue. Without the turbulence of either um, pump in, pump out, or even rakes spinning in the water or pumping through a bed of hops, you don't get – hop cones are quite a densely mm. packed, mm. pine coney looking thing, which we're all familiar with. And, and they actually don't allow – they're designed to keep the rain out from the street. You know, they're actually not uh, – they're not designed to let – uh, wort pump through and and um, solubilize you know the lupulin gl- glands and rupture them and and pick up the oils that you're looking for. So there's there's inherently some physical problems with um, trying to get beneficial flavour pickup from a dry hopping a wet hop beer with whole cone. Yeah, well the cone just fully collapses too once it's once it's actually soaked. It just you're not going to get anything into the cone. Like we're constantly stirring our our wet hops. Um, and we manage, you know, as we manage the flow of wort in and the flow of wort out, so it keeps the same level, but we're constantly manually stirring it to mix in and so we, we want to break up as many of those hop flowers as possible so that we can let the wort get to the get to the lupulin. I feel like sometimes, um, I, I, we didn't do it this year, but last year we pulled out heaps of hop flowers last year and the kitchen actually used and they caramelised them um, with... Um, with sugar and stuff, and and we use them on our our plowman's board and and um, as a as an additive, and that was simply because there's still so much flavour in them. And I couldn't believe how much flavour was still in the hops. Um, so this year we made a bit more of an effort to get more of the flavour out, and I think manually stirring them constantly during pump out certainly helped. I mean, you know, we're only a small brew pub, so we can't put a many. Uh, uh, you know, an automatic mixer in, but but you certainly need to agitate your wet hops. I think that's a big big um, thing for getting the best flavour out. OJ, how does HPA choose which hops you use in the green hop program year to year? Is there a hop variety that works better that you found? Um, well, no, we're much more um, mercenary than that. We uh, just <laughs> want to talk about our own stuff. And uh, <laughs> um, we actually, uh, from the practical considerations of it, we bring the execution of the green hop pick forward in the harvest and mm-hmm. um uh, you know, there's a couple of practical reasons for that to stay out from under the feet of the main commercial pick. Um, you know, we've we've got farm managers and and um, uh, you know foremen who have a very important job to do, and we don't want them necessarily distracted by uh, you know individual orders. So we bring it all forward. We we accept that, for instance, a hop like Vic Secret or Galaxy that might harvest later in in the month of March. Um, might be, you know, outside, for instance, a bit early, outside its ideal pick. But but as we've sort of been talking about, we're actually seeing flavours driven by um, myrcene, for instance, and giving us this grassy, woody complexity. Um, and that is there. That is already there. And so, so a lot of the oil profile is already there. Um, they're, because they're, if you like, like raw hops without kiln drying or pelleting, the total oil per 100 gram of, of dried material on a dry basis is, is very, very high, right? So they might not have the ultimate profile of, um, you know, the commercial pick, but in terms of impact and fl- driving flavour, there are things on our side that let us bring, um, bring our um, green hop pick forward. So we choose to execute the most of it from Bushy Park, uh, where we have, you know, sort of an easier, more resourced customer service and order fulfilment um, machine down here. Uh, and, of course, Bushy grows um, Cascade and Enigma and Ella and Galaxy. And um, and then 
from the Ross Trevor farm, um, Vic Secret and Eclipse. So we we basically make everything we grow available um, with some caveats that if you want Cascade, which is only grown at Bushy Park, and you want Eclipse, which is only grown at Ross Trevor, they're probably not going to turn up on the same day. So there's another practical challenge for the brewer to have to adapt and work with. It's not very convenient. It's not easy. It's not convenient. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, it's only once a year. <laughs> Green hop beers aren't about convenience, though, no, AJ. They're definitely not. <laughs> we got the wet hops from um, from um, Myrtleford last year. This year, obviously, got them from Bushy Park, and I don't really think any difference in quality, even though they obviously had to get shipped further. I mean, we're not quite in the, the lucky position of Reed who can drive down the road and pick <laughs> them up. Although, Next year we'll probably have to make that effort and uh, and I think do that. So we'll talk about that. And I think actually I'm at the point now where I've got enough info. We actually want to just release a can, release a, a, a seasonal camp with with um, you know wet hop wet hop beer in a can. Um, I know it's not something new. Heaps of people do. Heaps of brewers have done it and do it. Um, but um, being able to do it and know that the beer will still taste good in you know, a couple of months in the can has been a challenge, I think, and having those, because they're not, the hop flavours aren't as stable. Um, but I think now that we're, we're um, really, um, the contact time of the wet hops and the word is critical. I think that certainly gives you much better stable hop characters at last. So I'm pretty keen to give it a go next year. That was one of the things I wanted to specifically ask. Are there any differences between uh, keg and package beer uh, or different considerations you have to have when you package the beer? Are we going to see, you know, a green hop beers, you know, nationally in one of the big retailers, for example, or are they something that really should be kept to a, uh, a, a local market? Yeah. Um, yeah, we, yeah, we, we have released our, our, uh, our green hop beer in, in package uh, for a while now. Um, and uh, certainly we see, I mean, every every I sort of consider every hoppy beer a real challenge uh, to you know to package and and make sure it's turning over well. And for green hop beers in particular, I think there's kind of two challenges: one one kind of inside the can and one outside the can. Outside the can, I mean that because it is hyper seasonal harvest season sort of beer, it really crushes me when I see a can of harvest beer in November um, uh, yeah. sitting on the shelf somewhere. It's just it's just not a good look. Even if the beer tasted amazing inside, somehow. It's just not really kind of the point of that uh, of that particular endeavor, you know, to have a yeah. have a, a really long offering for it, and then and then inside the can, um, as Richard said, I do think that there is something about those green hops that um, do have a little less stability. Um, as I said, for our typical styles, we're usually adding dry hops and a few other things, so that sort of maybe averages out to closer to a um, uh, closer to a typical um, hoppy beer for us. But uh, we definitely do see a uh, drop off um, after the first couple of months um, pretty pretty precipitously. So we try to get ahead of that by just keeping our just keeping our very realistic numbers around our packaging um, quantities and and expectations around how much of this we should make um, in order to sell sell it really quite quickly and uh, and keep it kind of just to, to the season. Yeah, wise words, Reid. Wise words. <laughs> So, but Rich, you haven't packaged yet. So, did you have any special considerations you were looking at uh, in packaging your green hop beer? Oh, we just, yeah, I mean, much the same. We want to see it. Um, you know, for me, the hop season's a good opportunity to get uh, consumer involvement and, and actually get them 
um, learning about one of the, you know, the, my, probably equally most important ing ingredient in beer because the consumer can see malt all the time. Obviously, they can see water, they see yeast bubbling away, but they don't get to see fresh hops very often, you know, and, and, and we hang them up. Like every year since 2000, I've hung up hop vines um, at the brewery where I, where I am. So whether it's been Wigan Pan or Ben Spoke, we hang up hop vines in our pub every single year. And you know what? They last for the year. They still look like hop vines when we pull them down two weeks before we get the new ones. They're sure, they're dried and, and um, you know, they've, they've copped a heap of different um, weather changes and whatever, but they still hang up and they people still pick a cone off when it's dry and rub it in their hands and smell it and you still get something out of it, even, even if it's been hanging up for a year. And I think that's awesome that customers can actually see and, and touch what, what real hops are. And that's probably the next step for us is to get a beer in a, you know, in a can that we can have it all sold in two weeks and retailers only get two cartons each or whatever it is to try and make sure that it's all gone in four weeks and, and we don't have to, we don't have the problem like what Reed's saying of having a, a carton of beer sitting around in October advertising a, you know, a March hop harvest. But I mean, it hasn't been easy doing some of those things. You don't, for me, I just don't rush in and chuck a beer in a can because um, we'll be talking about probably 2,000 cartons of, of beer. So we mm. want to make sure that we can, um, you know, obviously get the beer right, get the recipe right. It's not like you can practice all year round with this. Mm. <laughs> you, you get you get very limited opportunities to practice using wet hop. So it's, it's, for me, it's like one of the things I look forward to most in the brewing calendar each year. Um, so, um, and we haven't been able to can small batches for a while. So, I mean, you know, I always make sure I taste Reed's beers in the can and Beach Beechworth beers. Um, don't worry, Reed, they're always tasting pretty good. But I learned <laughs> from doing that I can hopefully get our, our hop harvest beer going at some point. Yeah, just to jump on what Richard's saying, um, definitely the harvest season is an awesome time um, for like uh, our bartenders and stuff to, to talk to our patrons because a lot of our, because the way we're, 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 we're positioned near the hop farms, most people coming to Bright have to drive past the hop farm. So they see those big, strange, tall, green columns of, of foliage um, as they come in and out of Bright. A lot of them don't know what it is. A lot of people don't know what hops are, right? Because you don't see them at the supermarket. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, a, so when we have our harvest beer on tap, it's such a really powerful way to actually say, all of our beers have hops in, hops in them, but this beer in particular is really special because the hops came from just over there, right, that right past, right in that farm that you were just um, driving past, and they were, you know, picked um, just a few hours before they were used, and it's got a really awesome local connection for us. So we really appreciate that. I think that's as uh, good a place as any to drop it. Under. Does anyone have any last observations, OJ? Yeah, just one more from me, um, Rich. Uh, to your point about um, making the effort to drive on down and pick up your green hops, um, we look forward to welcoming all of our brewers and brewing customers uh, back on the farms in the next couple of years next year it's been a couple of years since we've had um, had the gates open to uh, any non-essential people you know involved in delivering the harvest so for anyone listening that's keen on green hops and a farm tour do what rich is going to do drive on down and uh, come and say good day um, and you'll know exactly where they come from and exactly how fresh they are and how good they smell well, let's go one step further, OJ. Let's set up a small little brewery on the farm, just a little one, actually <laughs> brew a beer on the farm. I reckon if we can get Reed involved in that, we could set up a brewery on the farm. We could actually do the tour and actually use the hops off the vine straight into the hop back. 
I, I like the idea a lot, but I know this and this brewery just down the road, literally <laughs> like about 15 minutes, and they've got a great setup and they make great beers. So we should just use their kit rather than setting up anything else. I'm sure we could just wheel it easily, just tow it down the road on a trailer. No, no Why don't we deal. send one of the tractors with a trailer on it down yeah. to this place? Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. Well, Richard Watkins, Reed Stratton and Owen Johnson, thank you very much for joining us uh, for this Brewery Pro podcast, talking about the green hops and making beers uh, seasonally with them. Uh, all the very best. I look forward to trying the beers. I hope, well, in Brisbane, I may not get them uh, fresh, so I might have to make a special effort to come down to both your breweries to try them fresh. But thank you for joining us for this uh, podcast today. Thanks, Matt. Cheers. Thank thanks, Matt. You can download a full transcript of this conversation with links to other information in the show notes to this episode. Brewery Pro content is presented by Brews News and is designed for the brewing industry professional. If you have any suggestions for topics that we can cover, email us at cheers at brewsnews.com.au. Thank you for listening. <laughs>